0: Matthew chapter 35 verse 31 says it was also said whoever divorces his wife let him give her a certificate of divorce but I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery And then Matthew 19 says, Now when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him. And he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And he answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command that one give uh, give a certificate of divorce to her and send her away? And he said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. The disciples said to him, If if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it.
1: Thanks, Nate Dog. Every Nate needs a nickname. It's the rules. Nate Nader. Natasaurus. Nader. Nader. I like that. I gotta go grab something. Sit tight. You've gotta make a grunting noise on Father's Day when you pick up heavy things. It's the rules. That ain't going nowhere. There we go. Here we are. Hey, uh, I make jokes because that's how I gain control and I'm uncomfortable. And this is an uncomfortable topic, right? I must be real. like. We we talked about some heavy stuff last week, if you were here, and this week we're going right into divorce. And statistically, forty-eight to fifty-two percent of the people you know that have ever been married have gotten a divorce. And that statistic has held true for a long time. There's a variance there. A lot of people say in passing, ah, eh, about half, but in general every year it fluctuates between forty-eight to fifty-two percent of marriages in a divorce. And none of you who are divorced, or none of you who are married, on the day you got married thought you know, I think there's a meh, 50-50 that I'm just not going to do this later. That's just not how, that's how marriages work. When you watch uh, wedding ceremonies, you watch uh, bridal movies and all those, even rom-coms, then everyone's like, oh, I can't wait to be married. I'm so filled with desire. It's so exciting. And then reality hits, and we're in a room full of people who've been divorced or been impacted by divorce. I don't even ask you, ha- have to ask you to raise your hand. If you're watching from home, everyone knows everyone in here has been impacted by divorce, and the Bible has some things to say about it and you can't talk about divorce without talking about some other topics i'd love to explain where we've been um, and kind of catch you up i'm going to do that pretty quickly because we've got a lot to talk about today um and again I would say it's just pretty interesting that uh, God, I didn't pick this lineup, we said, you know, we'd go through this many weeks of talking about um, the image of God, we'd go through this many weeks of discipleship, we'd go through this many weeks on prayer, and then we'd start slowly going through the Sermon on the Mount. Nowhere in the last year did I think, or two years, you know what, on Father's Day, we're going to talk about divorce, that it just lined up that way. Uh, I didn't think through, uh, oh, you know what? We're going to baptize a father and son on Father's Day. I didn't do that. God did that. And so if you're here and you think it's weird, interesting, or heavy, I would say in general God brought you here to see this weird, extreme, these things juxtaposed to each other all together, that you're seeing... Father and Son being baptized, Father's Day, thinking about what it means to be a father in Christ, and talking about divorce uh, all in one Sunday. I think that that's fitting in some ways. Jesus is talking about what? When you think of Jesus, you think about what? Kingdom. Yeah, that's the answer every Sunday, so just get real passionate about it. I'm going to make you say it again really loud and passionately. Go. Okay. There you go. Kingdom, right? Gosh. Um, how old are you, David. Have you ever written a G anyway um, this you can 't make this better. it says kingdom anyway. Jesus is about the kingdom. And he's coming in to say, hey, you know what? You've missed righteousness. You've missed the humanity I intended. You've missed Genesis 1 and 2. Here's what I've come to do. I've come to fulfill it. And I'm going to fulfill it by teaching you what was said and the intent of the law. And that it turns out you're really far from righteousness and you need something fundamental. You don't need a list of rules that you're going to keep biffing. You don't need someone to reinterpret the rules, which is the constant pattern of all the Jewish teachers and all the rabbis. What you need is someone to change your heart. And you can't change your heart. You know that when Jesus talks about anger, you found yourself in that. Jesus says you commit murder in your heart when you are angry with someone else. You know that when you're driving down the road and someone cuts you off and you think, man, it'd be so cool if I could just halo sticker grenade their car and or whatever game you play. You know, just imagine, man, what if I could just angry bird, yellow bird, right into their car? They're just, does anyone play video games in this room? You think through, you know, World War II, just napalm, whatever. You, in your mind, you know this. And the car analogy's cute, but you have had anger towards someone in which you capture them in your mind and you abuse them in your mind and you belittle them into something less than human so you feel okay with how much you hate them. She's just a jerk. He's just chubby uncle who has everything to say all the time. He's, he's just my father who's always been a jerk and I don't ever have to call him on whatever. You belittle someone in your mind. We create caricatures of people so we can abuse them, so we can lift ourselves up, so we can be like God. And we do this with our anger, and we do this with our lust. We talked last week about how lust is taking someone and using them in your mind, the movies you play in your mind, to fuel your sexual desire, your sexual gratification. And Jesus is very against it, because it looks nothing like loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and loving your neighbor yourself. In fact, it's the fundamental opposite of it. It's complete opposite. You're taking someone, you're reducing them down, you're taking their humanity from them, you're robbing them of their dignity for yourself, for your own selfish gain. Jesus said, that's not love, that's not what I created you for. And so as Jesus continues to do this, he's going to keep this pattern up. You've heard it said, but I say. You've heard it said, but I say. He's going to do this six times. Now we're on to divorce. I'm going to, uh, to read what he says in, uh, let's just read it real quick together. We're going to read a couple big things together, and then we're going to pray because uh, there's a lot to say here. Matthew 5, 32. It was also said, here's Jesus speaking, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual morality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So Jesus is speaking on divorce in kind of reduced language here. He's kind of getting right to it. Here's his quick thought on it. About 13 chapters... 14 chapters later Matthew 19 he unpacks it right he says a whole lot more about it that's where we're gonna camp out um let's read that too. Matthew 19 1 through 13 I know we just read it um let me say this get out a bible uh if you can a uh, hard black back a uh, hard backed black one is in front of you you can get your own to, if you can avoid the temptation you can get out an electronic one let's get the words of the Lord in front of us we say this every week but it's so important this week too I am about to tell you things that Jesus said. No, let me start again. Jesus is about to say directly. I'm not, I don't even have to interpret it. You just read what he says, saying things that go directly against what our culture has told you your entire life for hundreds of years. And it's uncomfortable, and it doesn't feel right. It doesn't fit naturally, because it doesn't fit in our categories of what we want the world to function like. This is what it means to be an upside-down kingdom. That's not up there anymore, but you know what I'm saying. The upside-down kingdom. It doesn't make sense to us. It's warped, and so then we come to be poor in spirit. And so I want you to get out of the Bible. I want you to read these words because we're going to wrestle with them because there's a lot here. Matthew 19, 1-13. Now when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away to Galilee and he entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan and large crowds followed him and he healed them there. And the Pharisees came to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? That's how Pharisees sound. (laughs) Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female. And he said, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command one of, uh, one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you, allowed you, To divorce your wives but from the beginning it was not so and i say to you whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery and the disciples said uh, if such is the case of a man and with his wife it's better not to marry but jesus said to them not everyone can receive this saying but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth. There are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive it, receive it. Divorce, marriage, sexual morality, adultery, gender, eunuchs. Just a few light topics that we get to cover today on Divorce Sunday, Father's Day. Buckle up. We can't... Level with me. No joke. We can't cover all of this. I can't speak to all of your your struggles and your issues with gender. I can't speak to every, every which way divorce has happened or will happen in your life. I can't do that in these verses. And so if you're here today and you're expecting Jesus or me to tell you to justify your divorce, to justify your gender issues, to justify, that's not what we're here for. And that's not what the word says. Jesus speaks very directly about it. But if you're also here and you're wanting someone to say, you've really messed up. Your divorce divorce has screwed up your whole life. You have sexual desires for the same sex. You've eternally damned your soul. You're missing it too. Because that's not what Jesus is saying either. Jesus is saying, this is how it was meant to be. And your heart is hard. And the only hope is him. And so as we wrestle through these things, give me grace because I can't cover everything. And when you sit there in your, your thoughts of, oh, well, I, I know stuff, I've studied about this. Why aren't you talking about this, pastor? Why aren't you talking about this? Understand that our goal is to read the words of Jesus and understand them at what he says in their culture and time and how it applies to us. That's what we're trying to do here. And so the issues, whatever issue comes to your mind about all these things, give each other grace, give me grace, because this is a difficult. This is hard stuff, because we've all been impacted by this. This hurts, right? I mean, let just be real. We have gay relatives right? Look at me. You, you have gay relatives. You have divorces in your life. You've been crushed by a father who was never there. You know these things. And so we can't stand up here and cover absolutely everything in 45, 50 minutes, however long this takes. So what we're going to do is we're going to pray because I can't transform your hearts, but the word of God can and Jesus can. And so we're going to pray that God reveals, he gives us the word to receive as he says. Let's pray. God, I'm nervous. <laughs> I don't know why. It's just, ugh, this is this is heavy stuff. And I, you know, we we've, we've talked about this all week. And I trust you. I trust that your word's going to speak. I pray right now by the power of your spirit that you would speak boldly, that we would hear your word and we would receive your word, no matter where we land today—straight, gay, uh, married, divorced, single, confused. I pray that we hear your word and we say you are Lord and we submit to you first in your kingdom. That we check everything else at the door: the door our desires, our, our preconceived notions, our bias, our cultural thoughts. That we first say, "What does Jesus say?" God, may Your Spirit do that in us, because we can't do that ourselves. I know that I'm, I'm selfish. I'm biased. This is hard for me. It's hard for others. So we pray Your Spirit would give us grace and guide us. We trust You, Father. Amen. Yeah. The Pharisees came to him and said, "We're going to just camp in Matthew 19, and we're just going to, we're just going to." walk through it together is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause so they're coming to him to ask him a question that was hotly debated in their culture this is like this is like raising your hand in a political thing and saying well what do you think about gun control mister missus like this question is meant to reveal a whole spectrum it'd be like if one of you came this happens all the verses before you came to me and said pastor what do you think about the ganja what do you think about me smoking pot? And then all of a sudden, like whatever I say, then you classify me in this camp because there's 15 different camps and you want to know where I Please don't do that, ever. But uh, we can talk about it all the time. Don't, like in your hand, Sunday morning, raise your hand. We can't talk about that right now. But in general, this is what's happening. There's a tension where they're coming to Jesus and they're saying, hey, is it lawful? Important word there, is it lawful? Does the Torah permit that we divorce a wife for what? any cause. Before we get into Jesus' answer, we need to understand where they're coming from. Because for us, is it lawful to get a divorce in America? Yeah. Is it lawful for any purpose? Literally, pick a reason to get divorced. It's happened. Just happens all the time. Poof, you're divorced, poof, you're divorced, poof, you're divorced, just uh, whatever. Divorce happens, and so they're asking a similar question, right, for any cause, why? Why would uh, these religious leaders who are holding tight to Torah, why would they be confused? Bible trivia, Bible nerds. How many laws are in the Old Testament? I say it a lot, 600 something, right? 618, right, 613, sorry, oof. Uh, so of the 613 laws, how many of them do you think has to do with divorce? We'll just ask this side of the room, just take a guess. How many? Four. Four, anyone else? Thirteen. 10, four and 10, those are our guesses. This side? 50. Fifty? Three. That's not okay. <laughs> math, math is hard, you know, oh man. There are two laws specifically about divorce, and one of them was the one that was aired on and hotly debated. We're going to look at them right now. The first one is in Exodus 21, verses 10 and 11. If he takes another wife to himself, he shall not diminish her food, her clothing, or her marital rights, I put in parentheses what they're actually talking about there, in case you get confused on what marital rights are, right? But we have children in here this Sunday, so we're trying to be careful, right? Marital rights, and if he does not do these three things for her, she shall go out for nothing without payment of money. Meaning she doesn't have to pay back the bridal price, meaning she doesn't lose a whole bunch of honor. Meaning, who's it on? Who's the divorce on here? It's the husband's fault if there's a divorce happening. Who gets honored in this situation? the wife this is important first time diverse is talked about the women get honored it's on the men to do the right thing that is huge because in the next verse we read there's a huge weird shift that happens very quickly and so in a cultural gosh we got to do two things when we approach laws in the old testament you've got to avoid these two problems because you're going to do it i do it we cannot compare them to modern laws because they're not modern laws and it is so presumptuous of you and me to assume that all of these people need to arrive at the great holy laws we have in america stop it our laws are messed up too Hundreds of years now, people are going to look at us just like we look at Rome, just like we look at Babylon, just like we look at the Jews, and we're going to say, hey, some of these laws are weird. And so one of the things you want to do is not to be so presumptuous to say like, oh, well, man, they just really should have honored women even better, right? We've got to look at what the intent was here, and we can't compare it to modern laws because that's presumptuous. Also, we can't assume that this is God's perfect ideal because God had a perfect ideal in the garden, and we broke it and so when you look at the 613 laws if you approach them as oh this is what we must do to be righteous holy and have god's perfect ideals then you completely miss it and jesus is clearly talking about that through the entire sermon these laws were given to israel to meet them where they were to bring them to take steps towards trusting god and obedience so he could continue to redeem them to be the image he created them to be to be the nation he created me remember we talked about a kingdom people reign this is what god was doing and so This law comes in a time where hundreds of years of being in Egypt slavery, Israel started taking on polygamy. In a polygamous society, then, who do you, which gender do you think kind of has the upper hand? The men, right? Because the women then uh, literally only exist for the men's pleasure, um, for whatever the men thinks that time. And so Jesus steps in and says, no, 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 or God, sorry, God steps in, Exodus 21, uh, very recently after uh, the Ten Commandments said, hey. If someone takes himself, another wife, he shall not diminish her food, her clothing. He shall take care of her. He shall continue to give her marital intimacy. This this covenant sign of God's love. We talked about, about sex a lot last week. This deep, meaningful sign of God's covenant love for us. He can't take that from her. And if he does, he's the one who's made the divorce. It's on him. He's broken it. That's huge. The, these laws, they seem... Like pretty helpful good boundaries and taking steps towards the whole idea of the created order that God had in Genesis 1 and 2. This is what we're constantly getting back to. We're going to come back to that here more in a minute. The ideal is Genesis 1 and 2. The first two pages of your Bible. This is what God created. That's what we corrupted, and then these laws are meant to help make sense of that, to draw us closer to what God is drawing to to, uh, redeem, repent, and also Paul argued that the law was given to help us understand how separate we are from God, that we need the Lord. Only God can change our heart, and you see that all through the prophets. Jesus is coming and saying that. That's a sermon for another time. The next law, Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4. Hold your breath. See if you can do it through this whole sentence. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house and she departs out of his house and she goes to become another man's wife and the latter man takes her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house or if the latter man dies he took her, uh, who took her to be his wife, then the former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled for that is an abomination of the Lord and you shall not bring sin upon the land of the Lord your God uh, is giving you for an inheritance (gasps) that is just as long and complicated in the Hebrew as it is in the English if you've ever written law or read law it's just like whoa who you guys work with legal documents ever You see these sentences all the time. You're just like, golly, has these people ever heard of a comma or a period or like broken thoughts? Can you at least put a, if you're writing long emails, you like put a couple spaces in there so people will keep reading and not get like annoyed with how much you can't, make several sentences anyway one long sentence we can unpack all of this and you guys would get really bored and be like that's that's not what we're here for we're not going to do that we're going to talk about what was most hotly debated because the big deal about this is uh, uh partly in back how these women get juggled around and who takes care of her because that was such a huge tension in light of a phlegmas, uh coming out of that and trying to figure out god's ideal just one two but the main things are argued was the first verse when a man takes his wife and marries her then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her he writes her a certificate of divorce so here we come to the question is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause this phrase indecency in her the Hebrew phrase indecency in her find, uh, finds indecency in her it doesn't, it doesn't appear anywhere else in Hebrew texts. it doesn't appear anywhere else in Hebrew literature except for when they're debating it So when you're trying to define what something means, what do you do? You put on your your Batman cape and cowl and you work as a detective and you figure it out, right? Maybe that's what I do. And so you're trying to figure out, so you would look at this word and say, what does this mean? What does this mean in these cultural contexts? Nothing, it's just a vague idea of indecency. There's a, few, uh, there's a few schools of thought here. We're going to bring them up. These are different rabbis uh, that would have been around in the first century. And uh, this comes from the Mishnah, 9-10. Uh, so the house of Shammai says, A man shall divorce his wife only because he has found grounds for it in unchastity. Okay? So he, uh, Shammai is in this house of saying, hey. This is sexual morality, this is what we're talking about. If she's committed adultery, then that is where divorce happens, okay? So that was one school of thought, and people kind of lean towards that. Here's another one. The house of Hillel says, even if she spoils his dish. Hillel's school of thought was literally, there's a stupid, I do mean stupid list of things that you could divorce a woman for. And one of the most worthy examples is, even if she spoils his dish. So uh, imagine, going to your divorce attorney saying ah it's lawful for you to sign this certificate and for us to go through all this legal thing because she cooks bad done hebrews this happened this is law i'm not i'm not making this stuff up get this in your head this is how women were treated this was law beautiful marriage ceremony god gave us to be one flesh Ooh, you stink at cooking see ya, toots that's how it functioned now akiba he says even if he finds someone else prettier than she again we can laugh at this or we can be shocked and be like i can't believe that would happen this was law and so wrap your minds around this when the pharisees come and say is it lawful to divorce someone's wife they're trying to ask jesus are you house of shammai are you house of Hillel? you like rabbi akiba where are you at jesus where you stand tell us they're trying to trap him they're testing him uh, in all of Jewish history, as they do archaeological studies and we find uh, divorce documents and all this, which uh, which set of verses do you think is most quoted? Exodus 21 or Deuteronomy 24? The Deuteronomy, the Deuteronomy ones. Yeah, those are the ones that are most quoted. Um, and then uh, guess uh, when you look at these three interpretations or different ones, guess which one is most commonly cited towards. Yeah, most people are, are siding towards Hillel, Akiba. Um, why? Because we can be like God. We can decide someone's value. We can decide how women should be treated. We can decide we don't want we don't want this commitment anymore. Pfft, get out of here. So this is the debate. So which way's right? Who's right here? Because we have this phrase. Be, honestly, step into this world. You have this phrase that God has given us. God said, unless there if there's indecency in her. And then God gave us these rabbis. They're the teachers of the law. And they've got all these different interpretations. Who's right? Now, thank you. Welcome to the debate. So Jesus isn't just commenting on 21st century divorce as you've interpreted in your mind. There's a whole lot going on here. And it's important to understand that context because Jesus isn't trying to speak to every circumstance of divorce. He's being asked about a very specific thing here. And that's helpful to us. And we'll unpack more thoughts on that later. Jesus answered, have you not read, this is, Matthew 19 verse 4. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Jesus' first response is, hey experts in the Bible, have you read the Bible? Just like right? Ninja strike to the face. You even read the Bible, bro? Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. This is very typical of Jesus to to come back to Genesis 1 and 2, to come back with, hey, do do you even look at the Bible here? You're getting all caught up in interpreting laws upon laws upon laws upon laws. What's the heart? What did God actually establish? Jesus takes them to Genesis 1 and 2 catch this, because they're asking if it's lawful to divorce, and Jesus goes back before the law. He says, you want to know what the law actually is? You want to know it's lawful? This is what God created marriage for, and he quotes Genesis 1, 26, 27. He quotes this poem. Uh, he quotes a small part of it, but then again, in this Hebrew context, if you're quoting something like this, and you're talking to religious leaders, the assumption is they know. They know what he's quoting. He's quoting this whole thing. He's speaking shortly. He created them in the beginning. He created them in male and female, but he's quoting this small poem from Genesis 1, and 27. We're going to read it. Um, we have to do a, a bit of theology here that is about why you were created and what it means to be human, and so uh, strap on because this is pretty important. Genesis 1, 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over all the creeping things that creep on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. One of the big ten, the big ten commandments is you shouldn't make a graven image you can't make idols right uh, and the word idol we talked about when we talked about the golden catholic it meant to make an image in the likeness of a god uh, particularly even a la- liaison to god even that was not permissible right um, and so if we had a statue of god up here and said hey pray to this statue because that statue connects us to our god nope god's saying that's not what we do right uh, i'm not trying to step on some of your high church stuff or say anything about catholics right don't don't read what i'm saying i'm just saying in general that's what he's talking about broadly God already created an image of himself. What did he create? Humans. Created humans. The Hebrew word for human is? It's a name that rhymes with Padam. Adam. Adam is the Hebrew word. Hebrew word for. Uh, humans, for, for, existen- for human existence, for Homo sapiens is Adam. And when you look at it in the slide, he's saying that God let us create them. Look at the person next to you and say, you're an image of the Father. Do it. I'm watching this is so important C.S. Lewis had a great quote about it I can't remember off the top of my head so we'll quote it later something about the closest you'll ever be to God is the person sitting next to you on the subway or something of that nature the idea is that you need to understand that if you want to you connect with who God is you want to see who, who he is an image of God look at what he created and the image that he created of himself is you and me and that says something because some of us walk into here and don't believe we deserve to exist and have no value and you already have fundamental value Because you're creating his image. That says something about you. Psalms tells us he knitted you in your mother's womb. Super valuable. But also that says something about how we approach life, how we approach uh, male and female, how we approach marriage, that God created us. Let us make man in our image. God ha- in our image. God has a relationship with himself. There's a big word for it, a uh, Trinitarian theology, and we could talk forever about that, and I would have to dance around itty-bitty things, because those of you who know better would trap me on every little thing I say, because Trinity is such a complicated concept. But in general, we know that God exists in three separate but equal parts, and in somewhat They're in some perfect relationship that we can't fully understand. Right? And God, in that perfect relationship, creates Adam. He creates Homo sapiens. He creates humans. This is important. God exists in this three thing, right? Um, And and we're not even gonna call this God or anything, because that might be weird about the image thing I just said. But God creates that. He said, let's create in our image, and He creates one, right? But that one, actually, then he says, This is Adam. I created man, and in the image of God, he created them. When he says them, he's sort of saying to them as Homo sapiens, them humans. I created tho- those, 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 those humans. That's what I created. And then he created them, male and female. And then he goes on to say, The two, the, the one, they're two, but then the two shall come together. This reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Now they are one. And then what do they do with that? They're fruitful multiply when they come together to uphold God's covenant relation for them. They have babies, right? This is not an analogy for how many babies you should have. They have babies, and then those are one, but then those are both male or female, and then they go out and they become one. Do you see how this constantly points back to God and the perfect relationship that He had? Catch this, because if you miss this, then every Facebook meme that you say that has something to tell you about gender, about family, you don't get it. It doesn't make sense outside of this. Then it looks more like this it's literally the Wild West. All of these things, marriage, relationship, gender, sexuality, it's just this big, whatever the stink you think you get to do. It doesn't make any sense. And so then when Jesus is asked about divorce, he says there's something so much more meaningful than that. Stop with, your, can we get rid of this woman because she ain't pretty? Stop with, can I drop her off because she stinks at cooking? Jesus said that God created them, male and female. He created them that they would leave their father and mother and the two will become one flesh what God has brought together no one separate God created you to bear his image you bear his image by loving other people and loving him Jesus will say that later Matthew 22 there's all sorts of hearts and law but Jesus it's all wrapped up in this love God and love other people that's how you bear his image He created the male and female, they come together as one flesh, and they bear his image by creating other life that is male and female that comes together as one flesh. Do you see the trajectory here? This is all connected. Nervous, I gotta take a minute to look at my notes. Give me a sec. When we aren't doing this, everything gets confused. We get lost, we get frustrated. We see disunity, disorder, and chaos. And what have we said over and over in church? We've said, God has brought order, unity. He's made things right, whole, righteous. When we get away from this image, it's broken. It doesn't make sense. I hear your questions that are stirring your mind. I get it. I know that there's so many nuances to this. What about this person who's born this way? What about this and that? I get it. Jesus is simply saying, this is how it was meant to be. In the kingdom this is what it was meant to be. This is what God created. So they push back on him. The Pharisees then say they kind of get in this back. End. Well, let's let's go back. Hold on. Um, what Jesus is ultimately saying the Pharisees this is important. Marriage needs to be upheld. His ultimate point that he's landing on here is, do you not know that this is what God created and marriage is of high value? And so you can't belittle it to whether or not you can get a divorce. Marriage is important. We need to uphold it. That's why he ends up saying, therefore God has joined together. Let no man se- separate. There's another no species that, man... We could talk so much about like, the, the atheist movement, the new atheist movement, this whole idea that um, uh, we are just gene carriers, and our whole species exists to protect itself, to per- persevere, survival the fittest, and to spread the human gene. And that's great, because it actually is true. In a broken kingdom mentality, in a brokenness of man, of course that's what you should pursue. What else, what else would be important? If you have become God, I wanna be like God, and you've separated from God's kingdom, then the only thing you have to live for is yourself. Marriage doesn't mean anything. Relationship doesn't mean anything. It means what you think it means when you think it means that. And so when we approach our culture, when we approach our own personal thoughts, we have to come back to the word of God and say, what does this actually say? Or are we just gene carriers that are out here to spread it? And you know in your heart, that's not what God created you for. It's a cold, dark, uncomfortable approach. There's no other species that leaves their father and mother to cleave to one spouse and the two become one flesh. It just doesn't happen. God created Adam for that, humans. So the Pharisees and Jesus kind of do this kung fu thing where Jesus says, don't you read your Bible? And they're like, we read our Bible? Here's what the Bible says. And then Jesus kind of comes back at him. Here's what happens. Verse 7, Matthew 19. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce to send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, Whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. They really want to drill down on Jesus. They want Him. Who's what? Are you? Are you of the Halil people? Are you of the Shemai people? Who? Who are you, Jesus? And so now they really want Jesus to, to say it. No, no, no. You can't get away, Jesus, by the whole Genesis one and two trick. We're not, we're we're not that. We're not playing that game. We don't want to talk about what marriage actually is. We just want to know: Can we get a divorce when our wife stinks? That's what we need to know, Jesus. How do you feel about that? And so then, Jesus, who does he who does he align with? You don't have to remember, it's the house of Shemai, but it isn't Max, that's not what he says. He aligns with uh, an upholding of women and how they're taken care of. This is so important, so important. In a culture that, that wants to say that Christians are about belittling women and uplifting men, yeah, we've done a lot of that, and we've really screwed it up. And hear me say that. We've done a lot of good in trampling women, and it's terrible. We've done a good job of that. We're going to stop it. Because we see over and over in Scripture, even from the beginning, when God first gives the Ten Commandments, the next thing he says when he's talking about slaves and, and, and divorce and people taking on other another, uh, women, he specifically says in Exodus 21, take care of them. Give them food. Give them uh, clothing. Give them shelter. Give them marital rights. They will stay honored. And then Jesus aligns with that. He says, man, you can't divorce someone except for sexual immorality. Jesus says Moses allowed divorce. Why? because of a hardness of heart. Those of you who have been divorced are starting to get uncomfortable, that's fine. We're going to keep talking about it. Divorce always involves a hardness of heart. Every time. There's some sort of hardness of heart that's happening that's causing some confusion, that's causing something apart from the image of God. Because the whole reason you were made to come together in a married relationship is to bear the image of God, the image of covenantal love and commitment Your marriage points to an eternal king and an eternal kingdom. And so when there's some sort of divorce, there's a hardness of heart that's happening. Maybe it's not you. Paul deals with that. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians. Maybe it's your spouse's hard heart. But divorce involves that. Jesus is not here trying to speak to every possible situation of divorce. He's commenting on what the Lord set up from the beginning, and he's speaking into a debate on Deuteronomy 24. He doesn't speak on Exodus 21. I wish he did. That would be really great. No one ever asked him. He, he doesn't speak to that. And that's important. If you're sitting here and you're divorced, if you're struggling through a broken marriage. Jesus says that the only permissible reason for divorce is sexual morality. The word is porn, pornea in Greek. Uh, you can imagine where we use that word else places and all that. It basically means sexual sin that destroys marital covenant. Pornea. uh, It's used a lot in Greek language and in all sorts of areas in history. Uh, Jesus is putting the burden back on men in this. Jesus is coming out of the shooting and saying, the kingdom is a safe place for women. Just like we talked about last week. Why does Jesus address men? Clearly women lust. Jesus isn't stupid. He knows that women struggle with lust. Why does he put it on men? Not to say, oh, well, when we get a free pass, you can tell us all you want. Clearly, that's not his point. Jesus wants them to know, in your society, in your world, you are taking what I created, this helpmate, this male and female image of God, and you are saying one is not as important as the other. And you can squash them, you can get rid of them, you can step on them, you can make them objects of gratification. You can divorce them when you want. And Jesus so quickly decides, no. It is on you. If you choose to get a divorce, you've caused sexual immorality. You've caused adultery. It is on you, men. And if you're a man in this room, if you're watching from home, and you're living through a broken marriage that's struggling, please think through what your role is. By taking this stance, Jesus is siding with women, honoring them. He's speaking out against an injustice to their society. Well, what, do you, what did the religious leaders, I mean, just by their response, what do, you, what do you think they thought marriage was for? What does marriage exist for in the religious leader's mind? These people who are reading the word of God and teaching others. What, is, what does marriage exist for? For men. For men and their happiness. And Jesus says, now man, the kingdom is a safe place for women. Marriage is so much more valuable than your happiness, than your gratification, than your pig-headed ideals. Jesus is not saying... That your divorce is justified it's not saying that he's saying that it's sad and it's a broken thing from what god originally intended if you're divorced in this room please hear that we're not standing up here we're not telling you you are condemned you've messed it all up there was a perfect image and you broke it there was a perfect image and we all broke it every one of us so you want to point a divorced person in this room who's broken something you want to point a divorced person in your family that's broken something point it yourself when are you angry about things when are you lusting Jesus says we're all poor in spirit. We've got nothing. Jesus is not saying that if you're abused in some way that you can't get a divorce. So many people use this to say, oh, maybe they should get separated. stop. Jesus is commenting on a very specific question asked about a very particular piece of scripture. Jesus clearly values women and they're treated right and justly. And although it's very challenging to step outside of this and say anything that I can't specifically say in scripture, hear me. If you are in an abusive relationship, that is not what God intended you for. And it has to stop. And you need to be the one to walk out of it right now. I'm not telling you tomorrow to go to the court and get a divorce. I'm saying tonight, you need to leave, find someone in the church right now. We'll help you. Find someone to help you. Because God created you to be honored as an image bearer of him. He created you to have justice and righteousness through Jesus, not to be abused. So if you're being abused, put an end to it right now. We have a church full of people that will help you. Find me right after service. We've walked through this before. We'll walk through it again a hundred times because Jesus says that the kingdom is a safe place for women. And more, men, if you're being abused, let's talk about it. Let's deal with it. Jesus isn't saying here that if you divorce and remarry, that you've committed adultery and and that, that you're sinning forever. Jesus welcomes and forgives the woman at the well. He welcomes the woman caught in adultery over and over in Scripture through that. So when you see people holding signs and say, if you marry a divorced woman, you've committed adultery, stop, stop misunderstanding that. When you got a divorce certificate, which God allowed by Moses, you, the permission in that was to remarry. And so all these arguments on whether or not you can get remarried, stop all that okay? Because the ultimate goal here, the question isn't, are you remarrying? Are you staying single the rest of your life? That's not the point. The point is, are you upholding the image of God that he created? Because God has redeemed many broken things. If you have sexual problems in your marriage, I've seen God redeem that several times. I've walked through a specific situation where a guy committed adultery. He called me hours after it happened, and I watched God redeem their family and change them. The goal is to be the image bearers Christ has called us to be, The goal is to point to the Father, to His kingdom, to our King. So, as Jesus comes, He shows us the gospel of the kingdom. Turns out we've all messed it up. Anger, lust, marriage, divorce. We're broken and need Jesus. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The disciples said to Jesus, verse 10, if such is the case a man with his wife, it's better not to get married. The disciples, clearly, they're siding on, whoa, hold on, wait, if, if this is the case, if I don't have an out, why would I ever do this, right? And those of you, I mean, come on, like, if some of you have, have had those thoughts in your mind, like, ah, oh, wait a minute, like, I don't want to be eternally bound to someone, what if they turn out to be terrible? What if they are a bad cook? What if they're mean? What if they're just an intolerable jerk, Right? Bring you back to everything Jesus says about forgiveness, about poor in spirit, but the disciples, clearly they're siding, they're confused here. And Jesus' response to them is super strange. But, but then he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have been made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let, no, uh, let the one who is able to receive this receive this. What are eunuchs? Eunuchs are, it's okay, we, I could ask a lot of people, and it's, it's a tough thing to explain. A eunuch, you can give me the actual literal definition, and that would be kind of weird, but a eunuch is someone, kings, this is a practice, happened way long ago in the ancient days. Kings would have a whole bunch of wives, and, and women, and all these things around them, and so they would have amongst them servants who were made, uh, they, they were uh, cut in such a way that would prevent them from uh, being married or having sex that was that was the whole goal of a eunuch. Jesus speaking metaphorically here, just like cutting off your hand, gouging out your eye, important hyperbole, but he 's not telling you to gouge out your eye and cut off your hand. Jesus is saying, Hold on, there are some who have been uh, that were given to be eunuchs, right? There are some that man have made eunuchs. Those people exist. Everyone's like, oh yeah, Jesus, there are eunuchs. Eunuchs, by the way, are seen as the lowest of the low. They're dishonorable. They're just the, the ratty people. No one, they, they couldn't even go worship in Jewish temple, right? Uh, they, just, they weren't acceptable for anything. Uh, they had to have people go for them. As, uh, and so then when Jesus uplifts eunuchs here, whoa, classic Jesus, right? Like, ah, oh, here's the poor scalawag folk. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Anyway, so he says, some are born this way, whoa. Let that settle. Some are born in such a way that they can't marry or reproduce. Some are born that way. And then, comparing himself, because this is who Jesus was, he says that there are some who have chosen, they have, uh, there, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs, they've chosen to, for the sake of the kingdom. Jesus is saying that there are those who have chosen. Hey, this is what God has called me to. This is what is right. I need to be single. I need to not be married, not have sex for the kingdom. And, of course, by being a eunuch, then he's saying, I'm not going to be single and then go have a whole bunch of sex want. That's not what he's saying. No, to be, to be a eunuch, the comparison here is, I have chosen for the sake of the kingdom to be single, to not be married, to not have sex. Can you imagine... Think in your mind, can you imagine never pursuing sex or physical intimacy? Think about it for a minute. Just saying, ah, you know, no. There might be a handful of us in the room. It's like, oh yeah, sure, why not? Uh, for our culture, that seems impossible. Wake up. We've all seen MTV. <laughs> How old did I just sound? <laughs> I watched MTV one day. <laughs> We've all seen the news, the media. It's everywhere. We talked last week about the industry. We know that that you sell sex, you obtain it. It is one of the highest values and commodities in our culture and our life. Can you imagine saying that I'm, I'm not gonna do that for the kingdom? We're so committed and focused on the idea in our culture that we need sexual intimacy, that we need these deep, intimate relationships with each other that we define, that we can have it for a few years, then get rid of it, then have another one for years. As a culture, You are committed to this idea. Don't tell me you're not. You were born into it. 21st century Western Americans. This is your worldview. And no matter how much you want to keep reading and believing other things, everything around you has told you. You get sex and physical intimacy whenever you want, however you want, because it's yours to command and control. It's a great desire for you. And then on the other side of things, you're told, and you can just leave relationships whenever you want. And Jesus elevates those who have chosen for the kingdom To not get married, to not have sex. Eunuchs, which are seen as super lowly. Jesus elevates those. And I think, church, there's an important point that needs to be made here. We've bought into it. We've bought into this idea that the highest value is to elevate marriage, married people, and having kids. And if you're single in here, you know what I'm talking about. If you've ever been to a life group or a small group gathering where you're the only single person if you've ever been invited to a singles event with hopes that one day you will be like us and get married and have kids because then you've arrived you know you know that's our culture you know that's actually church culture church we've got to stop praise god for the single people that have chosen to be single or who God has just made single. I don't know how all of that works. There's so many reasons why you could be single. Praise God for those people because they're seeking the kingdom and they're choosing that life for the kingdom. Maybe you're in here and God wants you to be single and you're saying, man, I love pursuing relationships and sex. And he said, I need it, I need it. And Jesus is pushing her and saying, what if you don't need that? Why do you think our culture cares so much about everyone getting equal rights for marriage? Why do you think, be careful. Why do you think we care so much about everyone's gender and everyone's pride for this, that, and the other? Because our culture, the church, has told everyone that the greatest value is to be married and have kids. And Jesus says, Jesus doesn't agree with that. Jesus was single. Did Jesus have sex? Did he get married? No. No. And he clearly says why that's important. He comes back to this. He talks about just one, too. But then he said, No, there are those for the kingdom's sake who's chosen to do that. For Jesus, the greatest thing in the world, the greatest pursuit is the kingdom of heaven. I can't hit that enough every week. Because for you, for me, our greatest pursuit is not the kingdom of heaven, we struggle. We're going to forget about it. We're going to go do our Father's Day thingies this week. We're going to do the summer thingies. We're going to get our vacations and our whatever. We're going to forget that we were called to reign with a king and a king and a kingdom. Our pursuit in life is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's the world we've grown up in. It's everyone's right to be happy. Jesus says the kingdom is what we should desire more than anything. If you're married... May your marriage be ultimately about pursuing the eternal kingdom of Jesus and King Jesus. If you have kids, may your family pursue Jesus and his kingdom over everything else. If you're divorced, come to Jesus. Pursue Jesus and his kingdom over everything else. Over your desires to be remarried. Over your loneliness. If you're single, pursue Jesus. Because it might not be that God has you to be married. Don't buy into the lie that one day you'll arrive and you'll meet him or her and things will be perfect. If you're single, pursue Jesus and his kingdom over everything else. If you're gay, pursue Jesus and his kingdom over everything else. Ah, Come on. Because regardless of where your mind goes towards an orientation, Christ has a standard and he's calling us to him and he loves us enough to welcome us just as we are to transform us so stop believing people tell you that jesus is pushing you out because jesus welcomed eunuchs he welcomed whores he welcomed adulterers he welcomed all the broken people and he said yours is the kingdom of heaven and church that's the kind of church we need to be Don't hear me say that we're this over-affirming, everyone gets in, everything's relative. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that all of us come to King Jesus as poor in spirit, and we say, Jesus, we need you, and we want to follow your image of male and female. We want to follow what you said is the most important thing, but we struggle, and we disagree, and we argue, and we step on each other. So stop. Before you post your junk on Facebook, before you make an opinion on everyone doing everything, be poor in spirit. Because there are divorced people in this room and watching at home. There are single people watching at home, sitting in this room. There are gay people. There are people who are so confused, back and forth, they don't know. And our culture is telling them, you pick a lane and you make it the most important thing. Or you pick a lane by not picking a lane and you make it the most important thing. And Jesus says, the most important pursuit of life is me and my kingdom. Period. So today, take your marriage and old it open-handedly. Stop idolizing it like you've arrived. Climb off your high horse. Just because you're married and have kids doesn't mean you've arrived. Christ has a lot to say to you. As a father, as a mother, as kids, as youth, Jesus has a standard for you. He has a plan for your life. If you're single, divorced, gay, confused, we come to Jesus. We figure out what Jesus is telling us to do, and we start with his kingdom. As I... As I have just unearthed a huge plethora of things for us to argue about and disagree about, as you are sitting there, you're watching at home, and now you immediately form opinions of our church, of me, please stop. Because the same Jesus that said these really hard things that are really difficult to wade through is the same Jesus that later on in Matthew 22 says this. He says that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest first commandment. The second one is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and prophets. What does it look like to fulfill the law and prophets? Love God and love others. You don't love others by permitting them to do whatever they want. I don't give my kids a handgun every time they ask for it because that's not loving. That's stupid, right? I'm not making a stance on gun control. I'm just saying in general, four-year-olds shouldn't walk around with a loaded weapon. We love people enough to teach them what's right. But first, we have to love God. And so right now, as you hear these things, I pray, I feel it. I feel the heaviness in this room, man. As you take time to wrestle through this, I don't know where you're at. I can't tell you if God wants you to be single the rest of your life. I can tell you what what God created you in his image, and that you're an image bearer. I can't tell you if if you are in the right situation to justify a divorce. I can tell you that Jesus says, all divorce... Is painful and a broken image and not what he designed but also he welcomes us all to be poor in spirit and to be redeemed by him. If you're gay, if you're straight, if you're on some high horse that I've arrived, we're saying we need to stand before Jesus together and let his word tell us what he designed and how we approach that. And for some of us, that means being single, choosing to be single the rest of our lives. For some of us, that may mean being married. For some of us, that means I need to figure out my guilt, my shame with my divorce. As we move into a time of response. I want you to take your apathy that God's laid on you right now. Oh, thank God the sermon's almost over. Whatever God's put in your heart, the heaviness that you feel, the confusion, the anger that you have because Jesus just said these things you dislike or I said all the wrong words, whatever you have in your heart, this is your time to respond. And your response right now isn't, I don't care, I'm moving on. I can't wait to eat lunch. I can't wait to get out of here and coffee. Your response is, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And maybe some of you need to look around and reconcile with each other. Maybe some of you need to look around and pray for each other. We talked last week about how we confess, we hold each other accountable. Maybe some of you need to let go of your ideal that everyone needs to be like you, married and have kids. Maybe some of you need to let go of your fear that you'll be single the rest of your life. I don't know. May God's word bear his weight on us and may we respond by coming to Jesus. This is your time. We're going to stand. We're going to sing a worship song together. If you need someone to pray with, you can come down and talk with me, pray with me. If you need to grab someone in the room, grab them and pray with them. We're going to move towards a time of response to seek what Jesus has for us. God, thank you for, uh, for your word. We can't thank you enough for your word. Thank you for uh, wrestling through heavy topics together. <sighs> Father, we come open handedly to you. We open our hands. Mm-hmm with anger with lust with marriage with divorce with gender with all these things that weigh on us that cause us tension and arguments We we want to acknowledge that we're poor in spirit God we pray that you would show us your kingdom that you would welcome us and transform us as you tell us to we need a new heart we need you to change us we've missed what righteousness is we know that we can only be made right by you God I pray for those in this room who don't know you those of us with heavy hearts confused. God, I pray that your spirit would bring life, that your spirit would move in this time as we respond to you. Amen.